welcome to Spirituality Matters. Now let's settle in to find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Today's podcast is entitled Chasing the Belonging. The subtitle of this is The Lonely Side of Deconstructing Your Faith. Now, chasing the belonging. I'm just going to ask you to bookmark that phrase because when the person who was interviewing me said those words, they literally pierced my soul. Her words planted in me in a way that I've come to recognize. I call it a spiritual nudge and it always comes in some kind of moment where I hear something that says pause and mark this because you just got a gift. It's either your next writing, your next video, your next social media post or something, or it's for wisdom for yourself. So I, I have these post-it notes that are all over my desk. And I wanna be honest with you, I have got to find a better way to be organized because uh, a couple times a week, I'll grab them all up and try to put them in some kind of order. It's not working for me uh, very well. But anyway, I wrote it down on a post-it note, knowing that it was inviting me into something that would arrive when I write. So I usually wake up in the wee hours of the morning and that is sometime between 2 and 5 a.m. And I know you think I'm crazy, but some people will also get that um, because that is when all the noise of the outside world is completely gone. And the only thing I'm hearing is what I call the sacred. And I wake up with these words dancing in my head. And that's when they're the loudest. And they invite me to, to awaken. And, and I can feel that soul connection. So I've come to enjoy it. Luckily, my schedule can be flexible enough that if I end up being up the entire time between two and five, I can go back to sleep for a couple hours uh, before I have to wake up and start my day. But I call this time my goddess hours. Now, I was going to dinner with my, with my brother and my sister-in-law last week, and we started the dinner like at six o'clock, but I had to leave like at 7.30. They were going to stay and watch a, a sports game, and I had to leave because I knew with as much as I'm being invited to write, like it's, it's a matter of if I just had time to write, I would literally be writing 12 hours in a day because so much is, is coming forth for me to write. And I, I get that. One time I heard Robert Plant. I don't know if you know who he is. Some of you might not be old enough, but you can Google him, the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. But he said, it's not a matter of what songs I'm going to write. It's, the matter, it's a matter of which one comes out of my head. And I get that. I didn't, I, I held on to that because I found that fascinating, but now I get it because it's a matter of what's going to come out uh, of my head. My brother has the exact same thing. So they understood that I had to leave and he calls his the inner man. I call it my goddess hours. He calls it the inner man. But I think most people understand that it comes from some place inside you that says you have a gift to give the world. And this is when I'm inviting you to arise, to take responsibility for it and offer it to the world. Now it doesn't mean, I just feel like I need to pause here and say that just because you're not, doesn't mean that you don't have a gift. Do not, anything that, anytime I share something, it's about my story. It's not to exclude yours and your experience. So if you're not being awakened in the middle of the night, see that as a gift. Don't worry about what's happening in your life. But if you are, and you can't figure out why every night at 2.15 you're, you're waking up, 
If you have the capacity to be able to do something during that time, perhaps journal, perhaps read. What I have found is scrolling on my phone does not work. What needs to happen is some kind of sacred ritual that tends to connect me to my soul. So you might want to consider something like that. So a few hours, just literally a few hours after she spoke those words, I was up at 2 a.m., propped up in my bed. My husband sleeps soundly. Sometimes he'll kind of roll over, but he says he most time he doesn't even hear me. But our Guinness, our senior cat, always looks forward to it. Whether he's in bed with us or he's out in the house roll, uh, roaming around somewhere, he hears me arise and you can hear him come in. He jumps up on the bed and he lays across my lap. So a lot of times he'll lay over my arms because I think he finds that comforting. So he'll start to just nuzzle there and off I go on my, on my iPad. And there have been times that if, I, if I've gone to bed too late and I'm not gonna be able to wake up, he will literally, and it, these aren't nudges, these aren't like the spiritual nudges that I get, he will headbutt me. I will wake up and he will be headbutting me in my chest to try to get me to get up. And uh, it's a little annoying, but sometimes it's like, okay, thank you. I guess I was oversleeping. So yeah, let's do this. So there is a mystery also to this writing process because all I have when I started this was chasing the belonging, chasing the belonging. Where is this writing going to go? So I thought at the beginning, I'm just going to tell you the process. And then let's see where it goes because I have absolutely no idea how this story is going to end, but I'm gonna trust the process. Someone once asked me about my outline process for how I write courses and how I write uh, teachings or my videos and things like that. And I'm like, uh, out outlines, do we do that? Now, I am in the course uh, process of writing a book and I have been spending a lot of time on that kind of outline. But when it comes to a blog or a writing or a teaching or anything like that, I just start writing and trust the process. So I kind of feel like that's a metaphor for life. Trust that the ending, what is going to come from this little pocket of wisdom, trust the ending will come, but we are free to create the story in our moments of living. Now I've parked that wisdom off to the side as well to say, okay, I'm gonna to return to that and I'll write a blog about that someday. So, but today let's stay with chasing the belonging. And I hope you feel those words as much as I did because there's a vulnerability to it that I hadn't expected to experience during that podcast interview. Um, I am in my 13th year of deconstructing. Now, some people, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I did not, when I was in the spiritual wilderness and I first left my religious heritage, I didn't call it deconstructing. I called it this untangling from my religious beliefs that no longer serve my highest good. I still feel that. I don't feel that deconstructing, the word deconstructing, really captures the entirety of the experience. It feels too functional when there's so much of your life, so much of emotion, so much of who you are, so much of your spiritual journey that's captured in that. That word doesn't do it justice, but when you hear someone talk about deconstructing, they're usually talking about the whole thing, not just one singular event. So that's why I like to, to pause and always say that it really is peeling back the layers where we can find this sweet release from the rigid dogma and the toxic theology. But we know many of us do, and some of you are just finding out that this deconstruction process can come at a high price. It can be a price so high that some find it too hard 
too high to pay. And I'm talking about the loss of community, the loss of your spiritual identity, the loss of affirmation and comfort from uh, your church authorities. And I believe that the person who was interviewing me, Mindy, I believe that's what she was saying. And this is what will send some people boomeranging right back to church without deconstructing because it is safer to have the known, to feel like you belong in your spiritual community. It's easier to be spoon-fed from the pulpit and just fake it than it is to deconstruct. Now think about that. And while there is nothing wrong about sitting in the pews and hearing a sermon that inspires or motivates you, we often confuse worship on Sundays as the entirety of our spiritual accountability or even our spiritual experience. And when we realize that deconstructing means that we're going to spend some time in the spiritual wilderness on our own, we would rather just check out, go back into faking it in the pews just to be comforted by the known. And then what, what, what we end up doing then is give it, giving our spirituality back to the church. Now, some people can, that can be very enriching for them. But when you check out that much where you feel like you don't have any accountability for how you show up in the world, that the only thing you need to do to be spiritual is to check off that you went to church on Sunday, that's not an enriching spirituality. So even though I say I don't proselytize for you to leave your faith, I'm going to challenge you to look at how your spirituality, whether you're churched or unchurched, whatever your faith is, how does it impact how you show up in the world? How are you leaving this world a better place because of your spiritual journey? So we don't want to give that up and say that, okay, we're just doing spirituality and because it isn't enough. And sure, we can, we can take that inward into our home. We can do devotionals. We can have scriptural readings. We can have group studies. All of that is important as well. But unless we are willing to face ourselves in the mirror and truly look into what is asking for light that we have buried, that what needs healed, what needs released, what dogma is harming us or doesn't serve our highest good, because yes, you have the right to question that, those beliefs, then our practices are not helping us to heal what's broken so that we can live with authenticity so that we can turn back to the world and be a better version of ourselves. Now, oftentimes church leaders will imply corporate worship along with membership and the duties therein, like tithing, volunteering. That's enough. And that will lead you to believe that your spirituality is good. Now, it can be, but if it isn't encouraging you to show up as a kinder, more compassionate person and expand your empathy and work to elevate the human condition, then, like I said earlier, that type of spiritual nurturing and enrichment, it's flawed. I'm just going to say it because it's often hyper-focused on salvation. When your corporate worship is focused on your salvation, then that's all you need to do in your life is Oh, just look out, look out over the horizon and look beyond the pain of the world. Look beyond the distractions of here. Don't be of the world. Look on beyond to heaven. Look on, look beyond so that you're focusing on salvation. That takes your eyes off of true connection with your fellow humans. Any responsibility for how you show up in the world. I envision 
when Mike Pence was my vice president, y'all know how I feel about Mike Pence if you're following me on social media. He went down and visited the detention centers when the uh, migrants were coming in and they were being held um, in horrible, deplorable conditions. And I think the reports that were coming out of there were quite embarrassing for an advanced country like the United States to be doing this to people. He shows up in this uh, building and you have all these men crowded in together as if they're being held as prisoners. And Mike Pence is looking over them. It's almost as if he's looking in the corner of the corner of the rooms. He's not, he's not looking, he's not engaging with any of them because he is the epitome of what an evangelical Christian does with their faith. He was only there to create a media, a media storm that could then be turned back into a, a political battle that said that the Democrats needed to fund, send, release more money to fund this area. That's not what was going to happen at all. And we know that. I'm not here to get too political. But my point is that you can see how disengaged from the suffering of the world you can become when your worship, when your attachment to worship has convinced you that the only thing that you're here to do is to get to heaven. The only thing you need to worry about, oh, I know this world is hard, but thank God I'm gonna be with Jesus someday. That's programming, that's indoctrination so that you will always remain loyal to the teachings of the church. You will always keep your membership there to continue to tithe, to continue to offer your free labor, to continue the perpetuation of the institution. Because if you paused and saw yourself as being an integral part of humanity, then you're distracted because there's something here for you to do other than just being a Christian. It's about it moving towards those who are suffering, not to proselytize them, not to baptize them, but to truly help them. Okay, so I find these kinds of detours necessary. I know we're talking about chasing the belonging, but I want you to understand, especially for those of you who are early in your deconstructing, I get that this is lonely. I get that you want community. I get that this, this deconstructing is hard, but do not fall back into such a complacency that you hand over your spirituality and put it on auto autopilot. If community is important, you can still be in community, yet working to deconstruct elements of your faith that no longer resonate with you. And I know this because there are people who will say, okay, I'm done with the dogma of my church. I'm done with the hypocrisy. I'm done pretending that I, be I belong to a welcoming church when I know that they think that um, the LGBTQIA plus people are less than human because we can't invite them to membership. They can't be part of leadership. We can't uh, baptize them. We won't officiate a same-sex marriage. So you get tired of that, but you, you, wanna, you wanna be, there's enough safety in that, in, that, in that community for you that you want to stay involved so that you continue to do the work covertly. I'm one of those. That's exactly what I did. So there might be something that's finally said, you know what, this isn't working for me, but I'm not ready to show my hand yet. So this came home also for me when I was doing a, a Zoom teaching in a, in a closed um, meeting and a young woman spoke of her deconstructing journey and she was deconstructing while still rooted within her spiritual community. Now she had a challenge because she lived in a small town, the kind where everyone knows everyone else 
everyone's going to the same church and church is an essential part of acceptance in that community. And it was clear that she needed them because they were providing the connection and support she needed to be seen and loved. And this struggle is very real for those who deconstruct from the beliefs of their religious heritage yet stay bonded for connection. And I believe that she'll have a struggle to balance this because this whole workshop that we were doing was about healing from religious trauma. And she knows she has it, but it doesn't mean that she can't do it. You can. So I hope that the words I gave her encouraged her and helped her see that time is on her side. She certainly has time, although there'll be times where she may feel like she's suffocating in those moments where she feels like it's time to peel back more layers or she's listening to a homophobic sermon and she just feels like she's going to be coming out of her skin. But I believe also that this young woman represents the millions who look at where deconstruction is taking them. And when, it's, when you see that it's taking you away from your spiritual community, you often determine that that risk of being without it is too great. So for her and others like her who are chasing the belonging, this is something they simply cannot do, at least not in this moment. And I fault no one for this. I have never felt more alone than the first Sunday that I awoke and didn't have the flurry of activity to ensure we were going to be on time for church. There was always this sense of longing, a sense of knowing that you belonged when you, when you pulled in on Sunday morning and you recognized the cars that were pulling in with you and you came to love those worshiping with you. Oftentimes, it just felt like coming home. There were always these familiar faces or picking up conversations where you left off from last Sunday and the hugs and just the reconnecting with people that truly care about who you are. And you just feel like you're wrapped up in this warm spiritual blanket. And I can tell you it can be challenging because it can be hard to replicate that out of church. And what I found that as soon as, as, as warm and loving and as comforting and as affirming as I was in that church, the minute I left, it was all gone. It was all gone. My spiritual community and connection was contingent upon my staying involved in that church. And it was gone. And... That was enough to convince me that my relationships were conditional. And so in, in one way for me, they weren't authentic. That's not what I needed. But we do know that humans thrive in community. We're often part of several communities that support us in loving ways. And sometimes that can be really good. That's how you start to expand other communities and also think outside the box because I know we're used to this physical one-on-one -on -one type of interaction, but if 2020 taught us anything, and I learned this lesson before that because my entire seminary, my college experience was all online. And so I've made friends that I've, I still stay in community with now. So is it possible? Yes. Can it be loving and, and helpful and supportive? Absolutely. But is it different? Yes. But we know that in some ways we do crave communities. It's like our DNA points us to belong. And, and then when we don't, we want to chase it. And if we can't find it, we grieve its absence and long for it. And this is why deconstructing is some of the hardest work that you will ever do. It is why I say that it is so much more than rejecting the parts of your religious heritage that harmed you. Without doing the work of deconstructing, what you end up being is just bitter. You leave and you think, okay, I'm no longer going to put up with that. But unless you're willing to sit with, to understand how this happened 
and what beliefs are still influencing your life that's, that provides a filter through which you see the rest of your world, you are going to can still, still continue to be impacted in some way, shape, or form by your religious beliefs. So deconstruction, I believe, is a necessity. So, and it becomes more than just rereading the Bible. We want to reread the Bible without the need to weaponize it. So that requires a whole other mindset, a whole other set of skills, a whole other set of resources. So it's a commitment. It's a challenge, but it's so worth it. I will also tell you this, that especially for the white people who are here, so much more about our deconstructing is about our decolonizing our beliefs because we don't realize how much of white supremacy is spiraling and entrenched into American, modern American Christianity. And that's a big part of it. And we also wanna make sure that we're deconstructing to heal our religious trauma. So these things are important, but no one, no one prepares you for the shock when those in your closest inner circles are gone. The most painful part comes from the fact that they are physically here, but unavailable to you. And you're the one who made the choice. It doesn't matter if it's yours or their choice, they're gone and that stings. The hardest part of deconstructing can be this loss of community because it reminds you just how alone you are. So when we can acknowledge that sorrow, then we can start to experience with how we can start to stabilize our time in the spiritual wilderness. And even after all this time, I can recall moments on this deconstructing journey where my loneliness tempted me to return to church. I had it for just a hot minute, but I did because it was lonely. And I just, I was out here with no roadmap, no time frame, didn't know what's going on. I thought, okay, I'll just go back and be a good little Christian. I'll, I'll shrink myself. Uh, I'll make myself small enough so I'm not a threat to anybody. And I'll just spiritually check out and belong but I didn't do that. I'm so glad I didn't. I knew that whatever had shifted inside of me would forever change how I would be received and returning was not an option. Knowing this was enough to keep me in the spiritual wilderness for just a while longer. So for you who are chasing the belonging and you find yourself in the spiritual wilderness, just remember that just a while longer because what arrived for me while I waited a while longer in the spiritual wilderness was an understanding that my reliance on community blinded me to how little control I had over my life while I was in church. Organized religion had taken that from me. More accurately, I had willingly handed it over in exchange for validation and connection for my relationships inside church. Now that doesn't mean that all of those relationships were bad because they weren't. There were many that were loving and supportive. And even today, almost 13 years after leaving church, I miss some of those special bonds with those I was closest to at church. But remember what I said, those bonds were conditional. The minute I left, they were irreparably severed, leaving me to realize that their bonds were contingent upon my willingness to be compliant to a toxic patriarchal system that was harming many. And those leaders had zero accountability or remorse because that's patriarchy. Love is not love when that love demands blind obedience and silent submission. But that's my story. It does help to know that maybe I helped that young woman who was 40 years my junior, who is just beginning to navigate adulthood and needing the guidance of those closest to her. She's figured out so much more at her age than I had. 
I can look back and see where I had spiritual breadcrumbs pointing me to deconstructing. And I call spiritual breadcrumbs this thing where you can look back, people ask you, well, what was the moment? And for a while I would say things, but I really realized I was deconstructing. I deconstructed for years. I re remember at nine years old thinking, wait, you're telling me I can be what all, my grandma's telling me I can be whatever I wanna be, but that preacher just said women can't be ministers. Now wait, what is this, what is this paradox you have me in? What, why is there this, this vast dichotomy between what religion says and what you say? or girl power and all these things. And, and instead of, I have no power of my own at that age, that was the first time I started to willingly submit because I was silent. And I can point to those places where those breadcrumbs up until the day I finally left church pointed me right out the door. So I consider that a spiritual practice to go back and think about those times where you were walking out the door, the time that I was, forced to be, literally forced to be baptized. It wasn't anything emotional or anything like that. You're, you're 13, you get baptized in the Southern Baptist tradition. That was my experience. When I was 16, I got rebaptized by a Christian non-denominational church because they would not accept my Southern Baptist baptism. I thought that was stupid, but again, submission, silence. This just goes on and on and on, where I would just be like, well, that's stupid. Or, you know, hear a minister say, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you're a fool. Well, I don't think that's a nice thing to say. Silence. I don't say anything. Submission. You just keep going through, but you sacrifice so much of yourself because you fear chasing the belonging. Don't tell a boomer who is raised by grandparents and parents from the silent generation that patriarchal indoctrination is not weaponized because you know it is. And the reason why I add that is because a lot of that, my experience took me that many years to be able to untangle from not just my religious indoctrination, but my familial indoctrination, my education indoctrination. We prayed, we were a public school. We prayed in the 60s. We had Christmas pageants in, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 70s, I had a teacher tell me I was going to hell because I wasn't baptized as a child, as a baby, because religion was so integrated into the public education school system, there was no repercussion for that. It traumatized me. So when you're, you're indoctrinated in that, it's going to take you a lot longer than a 20-year-old now who can look at this and say, you know what, I don't want this. This has nothing to do with my spirituality and this is not serving humanity in any way and it's not changing. Religion is not, Christianity is not changing enough that I don't wanna be a part of it. So do I think that she's going to be able to keep that balance forever? No. There will come a time in her life where the belonging, she'll be ready to find it outside of church because those indoctrinations will feel so toxic to her that it will start to compromise her, her true authenticity, her true north where she's being pointed to. And I applaud that. You know, you can be looking uh, someone dead in the eye and do the most harmful, outrageous, unacceptable, incomprehensive act, and they will not apologize. That's my childhood. That's anybody who was raised in the 60s childhood. And so that's not what we have right now. I was raised in a school where the paddle was hanging inside the door of your classrooms in every classroom when you walked in. 
And I know one time that a teacher paddled a child and several of us came to tell her that this person did not do what she was getting paddled for. And the teacher did not apologize. And we were told that if we kept bringing it up, we were going to get paddled. And we were quiet because the law ended there with do as I say so. So there's a lot of reasons that things needed to deconstruct. A lot of things. But when you know that this system of patriarchy, that's also religion, that's also familial, that's also our political system, this deconstruction and wobbly is because the generations after me are not going to tolerate it, are not going to be told, do as I say so, even though I made a mistake. That doesn't work anymore. So I want to remind you of a couple of things because I do think that for so many of you that I know I'm taking some detours here, but this is important to me because we are just sitting here right after the midterms. We're taking a little rest here, but we got so much more work to do, my friends. We are not even close to being safe of protecting this democracy. But I want to remind you of this. I'm sitting here, yes, I'm gray, and I'm, I'm celebrating who I am now. But I was a teenager when women could finally own a credit card. Financial companies never thought that women's financial viability was good enough or solid enough that they couldn't get credit on their own without a male cosign or male approval. I was six years old when interracial couples could marry. So you, in 1965, I was four years old when the Supreme Court decided that married couples had the constitutional right to privacy about birth control. This is not ancient history. So when people wanna talk about how toxic my generation is. They're right, but I want them to understand why. And if I can deconstruct from this, then you can, there is hope for others. And if there's not, then we need to make sure that what we're creating today is going to solidify that what happened before the midterms is never going to happen again. Yes, the dismantling of patriarchy needs to continue, but why this is important is because I believe that patriarchal indoctrinations, now I'm gonna bring this in a circle here, patriarchal indoctrinations have relied on people needing the belonging, that they have relied, that they've created a system that's so fear-based that you would fear being out there alone and feel so ostracized because of it and judged because of it. Because, and they've made it conditional, just like when I left church and my entire contact list fell away, that that is no longer working. People are saying, I'm gonna take my risk. And they're creating new ways to connect. The belonging is not sending them back. They're looking out here to say there has to be something better. So I'm gonna chase the belonging out there. I'm gonna chase it out here because something has to be better than where we've come from because this system is hurting too many people. This woman, this young woman I told you about is deconstructing while she's staying planted in her spiritual community and people like her, they give me hope. They give me hope for the future generations as we begin to heal from this generational trauma caused by patriarchal systems that do nothing more than protect those in power, which is primarily the white Christian male. But her desire right now to chase this belonging is valid, and I'm not going to judge her, but I know that something good is on 
the horizon. Because here in my 60s, I'm content to say I have found a community that works for me. And it looks absolutely nothing like the one for my heritage, but it works in ways that I've come to recognize as just as meaningful and sacred as those I experienced on Sunday morning. But that's me, and I know that. But where does chasing the belonging find you? Chances are the desire for community, this chasing the belonging has impacted you in some way. Wherever chasing the belonging has taken you, may it be for your highest good, compromise nothing. May it arrive without conditions. May it be what you need for your spiritual journey, not what the community needs in order for the community to survive. And may it be holy, because for in the end, that is all that matters. And blessed be. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you receive something. I know I did, because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love, and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you, and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved, just the way you are. Blessings on your week, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now.